listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Principles that we're going to see from God's Word transcend to every relationship almost every aspect of your lives. But this morning, I want to begin by talking to all of our professional worriers, because I believe I can worry with the best of them. In fact, that has been told about me many times, and I thought I could worry a lot. I've always been a little high-strung, you know, always bit my fingernails, just always kind of a little nervous, but always kind of a worrier. And then something happened that I went to places of worry I never thought were even humanly possible, and God gave us children. I mean, you worried, we worried about that little soft spot on their head. We worried because, wait, are those fingers the right length, or are they, uh, you know, are they turning over when they should? I mean, I worried about everything. And then they get a little older, and there's just a whole new set of things to worry about. When your kids are young, and they're mobile, and they can get into things, every time you hear the toilet flush, it's like, where's all the kids? we got to make sure, because I'm just afraid something has been sent down that toilet that's going to get clogged. And then it's like, I don't know why doctors do this, but you go as a new parent, and you're nervous, and then you're worried, what's, is that a rash, or what's going on here? Are they eating enough? And then it's, they throw up, and it's like... That's four days of food. They're going to starve to death. There's no way that much could come out of a little baby. And we were assured, no, it's okay, so stop worrying. And then the doctors do this thing, just because they love to see us, where they do this little bell chart. And they plot your kids about where they are in height and weight. And I was always worried, man, our kids are not at the other end of that bell curve. What's going on? So becoming a parent is I just worried all of the time. So I want to talk to all of us today, all of us worriers. And I would wonder... What do you worry about? I mean, there's probably not a shortage of supply of things we worry about. You might be worrying about your home. Worry about the safety of your children and providing for your loved ones. Might even worry about your job. But do you ever worry to the point that, and I find myself doing this, that you have so much to do the next day and it's time to go to bed? And you can't sleep because you're worried about all the stuff that you need to do all over the next day. Then you wake up tired and you're just behind the eight ball and everything else goes wrong. But today we're going to see that worry is nothing new. And I imagine it'll probably never go away until Jesus returns. But this week I found some interesting thoughts about worry that kind of helped me. I found a guy named Don Harold. He was an early 1900s writer. And he says, if I had my life to live over, I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have a lot fewer imaginary ones. Just how our brains work. Mark Twain. He says, drag your thoughts away from your troubles by the ears, by the heels, or any way you can manage it. Albert Hubbard, author in the late 1800s, he said, the greatest mistake you can make in life is to be continually fearing that you will make one. find myself doing that. Some unknown author said, Troubles are a lot like people. They grow bigger if you nurse them. Seems to happen. Oh, the Charlie Brown. He says, I've developed a new philosophy. I'll only dread one day at a time. Because he's constantly worrying. But think about this one by William Palmer, a commentator of the Old Testament, said, 
How many millions go to sleep and they wake up like atheists? Meaning that is, we go to bed and wake up in our worries as if God didn't exist. So this morning, I want to talk about this idea. I want us to hear from the king and the poet Solomon. You have your Bibles or on your device, I want to invite you to Psalm 127. We're going to look at this psalm in its entirety. It's only five verses long. So as you're finding there, you'll see that Solomon is the author of this psalm. In fact, it's going to be broken up into two sections. In verses 1 through 2, and then verses 3 through 5, it's kind of two different thoughts. Solomon's going to begin writing about some activities that are very common and familiar to us even today. And the greatest news is that these truths that we will see about these activities are relevant to people in all times and in all cultures. It just transcends. So here's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about building a house. You could say providing shelter. Watching over a city. Protecting those you love. And rising up early. And going to bed late. And I think he's talking about working hard. So he's going to talk about these really three common activities. And then in the next section, he's going to talk about children. Psalm is going to talk about children being a heritage. And we'll talk about what that means. He's going to talk about children being arrows. And we'll address that. But if you're there already, I want to point out something before we walk through this psalm. That between verses 2, so kind of 2b... Into three, Solomon's going to talk about these four things that he's going to connect. He's going to talk about building a house, watching over a city, rising up early and going to bed late, and then having children, and he's going to connect them by this idea of sleep. Now, I'm not a genius, but I'm reading this thinking, how in the world, or what does building a house, watching over a city, getting up early and going to bed late and having kids... Those are not restful things. Those are not things that you go into going, man, I can't wait till we're going to build that house. We're going to sleep so much during this process. We're going to be so restful. No, I mean, having children, if there's one thing we learn, you will go without sleep having children. So he's going to connect these things with the idea of sleep. All right, so let's back up now. Go to verse 1 of Psalm 127. Here's our first activity. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So the first activity, he says, is building a house. Now Solomon could have a couple of thoughts in mind. He could literally mean building a house, building a structure. And that definitely could be what he was talking about. I mean, you're king and you're building and you're expanding your kingdom. I'm sure he could look out at any point and see a structure being built. But he could also mean building a house could mean to develop your home or your household or your legacy, your name. He, he could also mean building up and setting things in motion for that. But here's Solomon's point. Unless the Lord is behind your building, whether it's building a name for yourself, setting up a household, or your family structure, if the Lord is not in it, you build in vain, meaning it's going to be worthless. It will be uh, of no value, and it will not last. He says, build all you want. Hire the best architect. Use the best materials. Put in all the latest stainless steel appliances and granite countertops. 
but it is useless if the Lord doesn't build it. All your hard work, he says, you could work your fingers to the bone, but if the Lord is not behind it, it will be worthless. So look at this next activity in verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So once again, Solomon's idea is watching over a city. This would be very common. A king would be setting up his, his kingdom and watching over the city. He would put watchmen in place, set them in high towers. He's protecting his city. And in this time, this is very common that he was always going to be concerned, making sure where the enemy's coming today. Solomon says that you can have the best state-of-the-art surveillance equipment. You can have the best watchtowers and the most well-trained watchmen. But his point is, unless the Lord watches over the city, you could stay awake for days and days and have everything to its fullest, but the Lord isn't behind it, the watchmen are going to be ineffective. There's no way they will make sure that you're always protected. So you see this theme going, we're to work and we're to watch. But he says, unless the Lord is behind it, it will be in vain. So here goes this third activity. Look at verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest or go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil. So what he does here, he reverses this order. Solomon begins with the worthless and the ineffective. He's saying if it is ineffective for you to rise up early and you to go to bed late, working hard for the food that you eat. Once again, he's saying unless the Lord provides, man, you could work to sun up to sundown. But unless the Lord works too, if he doesn't work, you'll never have enough. You'll never have. In fact, he says you'll be eating the bread of anxious toil. It'll never be enough. It'll never be a place that, that you're sitting down. He's saying you're constantly, you could rise up early and go to bed late, and it will not matter. So he takes these three different illustrations to make the same exact point. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying don't watch. He's not saying don't even get up early and go to bed late, not to work hard. He's not saying that we are not to do those things. In fact, I think he would say build Watch and work really, and work as hard as you can. And it could be things like providing shelter for your family, protecting those that you love, making every effort possible to provide food for yourself and your family. But he's not saying don't do those things. In fact, he's saying, in fact, do that. Work hard, protect them, provide for them. But unless the Lord is behind it, Apart from the Lord, he is saying that it is apart from our active dependence on the Lord, apart from the trust in the Lord, he says, you know what? Your lives are going to be pointless. They're going to be worthless, ineffective, and you will never find rest. So this is one of our main ideas today. Without dependence on the Lord, our lives are worthless, ineffective, and restless. He's saying, listen, you could work all, you could build, you could watch, and you could work from sunup to sundown. But if you're not depending on the Lord, it is going to be worthless, ineffective, and you'll never find rest in it. And look at what he says at the end of verse 2. And he gives to his beloved, to the ones he loves, sleep. So that's this connecting thing 
that he's talking about. But I'm seeing this, and I'm going, building a house, providing, watching constantly. What in the world does that have to do with sleep? So let's hold on to that. We'll come back to the connection, and let's look at the next section in this psalm, beginning in verse 3. Let me read it for us. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So first of all, Solomon makes a very truthful statement about children. He says, children are a heritage, meaning they are a blessing or they're a gift from God. Now, I know most parents would agree with that statement, at least most of the time, that there are moments that we might question this. But he says, children are a heritage. Children are a blessing. Children are a gift. And then he describes these children as the fruit of the womb. And I actually did some research, and it told me that the underwear company, Fruit of the Loom, did not get their name from that. I thought, that has, there's no way that's a coincidence. But according to Wikipedia, no, they, they are not connected. But then he says children are like arrows. Children are entrusted to parents. And we're to use everything that God has given us. And we're to mold and we're to shape them. And then one day we are to launch them into the world. You know, we're at this strange time of the year that, you know, our seniors have just graduated and, man, so excited watching Lauren uh, graduating, going into the new chapter of her life in Landry, knowing now we've got a new group about to get ready for that last year before they are launched out into the world. But I'll never forget what my great friend and our senior pastor, Ross Strader, once said. He said, your children were created to live forever. And God has chosen you to help set their trajectory. And God's given us children. We're to mold and we're to shape and we're to teach and discipline for the hopes of one day that we get to finally pull back that arrow and launch them into the world. And that God, they're created to live forever, but he has given us the first 18 years of their lives to help set that trajectory. And then Solomon gives us another word picture. Solomon says, he goes on to say that children are to be a quiver full is a blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that if you only have one or two children, meaning you're not blessed. In fact, I know some kids, in fact, I was one of those, that me by myself, I was a quiver full. That was all that they could handle at the time. But he's not saying that. He's not saying that just because you have one or two, it doesn't mean you're blessed. But it's like Derek Geidner said. The greater their promise, the more likely that these sons will be a handful before they will be a quiverful. But he's saying he's given us this image that, that we are to take, we're to mold, we're to shape them, and one day we will launch them into the world. And whether we have one child or we've got ten, God has given us this quiver. We are to, to care for them in hopes of one day launching them into the world. And then the fifth thing, it's a, an unusual phrase. At the end of that, Solomon says that a man will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Seems a little strange to me. I wonder what in the world is 
Solomon talking about. But in Solomon's time, the parents spent so much time with their children that a child learned life by walking alongside their father in his daily activities. They would follow, they would be with their mother, learning the things that she was teaching them to pass down to the next generation. And so children had a front row seat to their parents' lives. And Solomon was saying, live your life in a way. If you were ever brought to the city gates, where that's where the trials would take place. If somebody had an argument against you, that's where you'd come. The elders would then make a decision. But live your life in front of your children that they could be your strongest allies. That things would be said about their father or their mother, a child would say, no way that is true about them. Let me tell you why. Because I've walked with them every day of my life. That God is setting them up to be their defense. And this morning I want to draw a special attention as we think of the idea of parenting to the beginning of verse 3. It says, Behold, listen up, pay attention. Children are a gift or a heritage from the Lord. Listen, you know this as well as I do, that parenting is hard work. There's no way you could record every hour and there's no way you could place a dollar amount on the value. You never get to clock out for being a parent and for some reason God has not given us overtime or hazardous pay, even though at times I think He should. It's a role that you rarely feel qualified for. And yet, you are the ones that God has handpicked to parent the children in your lives. In many ways, parenting is impossible. And the stakes, man, they are so high it seems like. And I think every parent probably is asking, if they haven't already, they're constantly asking this. This is what we all want to know. Did I do a good enough job? You know, as we're putting those arrows in that quiver and we're putting them and we're molding those fletchings and getting those points sharp and we're pulling back that string, one day we all want to know, did I do good enough? So I think this phrase, children are a heritage, God has something very important that he wants us to know. With this word's heritage, meaning gift, that children are a gift from the Lord. But sometimes we can distort this reality. Sometimes I think what happens and we need to remember is that children, they are not our achievement, but God's gift. That children are not our achievement, Because first of all, I think we have to be careful. As if we are not, we can begin to see children as our achievements. And when we see children as our achievement, what happens is what we're really doing is we're attaching our identity and we're getting our value from our children. And we see this every day, at least I do. When my children act poorly, when they're disrespectful to others, when they do not perform well, You know what happens? I take it personally because I've attached my worth and my value to their performance because I see them as my achievement. But the opposite is actually true, too, that when they act well, when they show respect and they use their manners and when they succeed, man, I can look at them as an achievement and then all of a sudden I feel better about myself. But children are not our achievement. But think about this. What is it about yourself 
that you prize the most? Maybe you prize about yourself about being friendly. Maybe it could be being a good manager of your money, being organized, keeping yourself in good shape. Whatever you are most proud of in yourself is usually where you will find the most frustration when your child is not. And you pride yourself on being organized and your child's not, that's probably when your blood pressure begins to rise. And you will feel most frustrated when your child does not succeed in what you prize about yourself the most. And the reason is, is that we are looking at our children as our achievement. But the good news is, then this might actually be God showing us grace. At least that's how I have felt lately. When my children don't do or they don't perform or they are not living up to my expectations of the things that I prize about myself the most, maybe that's God showing me the area that's yet to be fully surrendered to Him. So children are not our achievement, and our value and our significance cannot and it should not come from them. In fact, it should be in the one. Uh, it should be in the one that lived the life that they never could. It should be in the one that died the death that they and us deserve. And so, your acceptance before God, parents, your acceptance before God is not based on how well you parent. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Your acceptance before God is not based on how well your children turn out. They are not your achievement. They are your gifts from God. The second thing, thinking about children are not our achievement, but they are God's gifts. And Drew said it great, and he set it up so nicely for us, that we can take these gifts that God has given us, and we can begin worshiping the gifts over the giver. And I think every parent faces this at time to time. And here's the reason. We love our children. In fact, we can't imagine loving someone more than our children. But what happens is we can take them and we can begin putting them at the center of our lives and we become worshipers of our children. In fact, your children and my children, they cannot survive. They were not created to be at the center of our lives. And often when we worship our kids... It's not only not fair to them, I think it can even be for the wrong reasons. Listen, I see this, and this is me at times. I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say some of these things. If you only lived in our house, you would know. But in the long run, it doesn't matter. It does not matter how well your kid, or if he was a soccer star or not. It doesn't matter in the end if they were a gymnastics champ or the best pianist in their Third grade class. And I know for far too long, I have been focusing on the output of my children. And I'm sending them the wrong message. In fact, we need to show our children that it is more important to be good for something. First of all, Jesus. Then it is to be good at something. I mean, I think I've so long put it the wrong reason. It's being good at this, it's doing this and doing that, instead of being good for something. You know, we cannot and we should not make children our heaven. I think that's what happens when we take our children, which are good things and they're gifts from God, but we put them at the center of our lives. 
And we need to be careful not to place them there because they cannot survive. The center of our lives has only been reserved for the one that can truly survive there, and that's Christ. So children are not our achievement, but God's gifts. And we are to be stewards of these precious and wonderful gifts. We are not their owners. So now I want to go back. I want to go back to that connecting thought that Solomon had. So hopefully we get this big picture that, that he's not saying don't work. We're to work. We're to build. We're to watch and we're to protect. And we're to work hard from sunup to sundown if we need to, to provide for our families. But we do it all along the way depending upon God. And then we have children and we're to love and we're to care, we're to shape and we're to launch them into the world. But in verse 2b, he says, but he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, why is he connecting these two major thoughts about living life and building and protecting and providing and raising children? How, why is he connecting them with the thought of sleep? Well, this phrase is interesting. Most translations, if you have maybe an NIV, an ESV that I typically preach from, it says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. He could be talking about giving you rest. But if you've got an NASB, it could be translated, for he gives to his beloved in his sleep. But once again, why, why sleep? I mean, the average person probably sleeps, I don't know, six to eight hours every day. In fact, I read that we will sleep one-third of our lives. But God could have made you to not need sleep. I'm thinking, imagine how much we could accomplish if we did not have to go to sleep. But I think Solomon's doing something. Solomon is reminding us, parents, adults, that we are children. We are so frail and we are so fragile that we have to become helpless and unconscious and blind and weak every day in order to live it all. Every day. Every day, God takes us to a place where we are totally vulnerable and not in control. For you to survive, you have to go to that place every single day. So I think God is reminding us how dependent we should be on Him. That we should depend on God in our building, in our protecting, and in our providing, and especially in our raising children. And if there's any part of our lives that shows how dependent we are, it's when we're asleep. When we don't even know what is going on. We are, may even be unconscious at times about being alive. But in that very moment, in that very condition, you know what's happening? When you're sleeping, when your eyes are closed, when you're oblivious to the world around you, you know what's happening? God's building. He's protecting, he's providing, and he's raising your children. But we see from the fall, from Adam and Eve all the way to today, that we want to do things, and we want to do everything ourselves. We have a really hard time trusting, at least I know I do. We have a hard time depending, we have a hard time resting, and that God can build, he can provide, and he can protect, and that he can even care for our children better than us. We have a hard time with that. And this psalmist makes it clear that our building, our protecting, 
and even our work are absolutely pointless, ineffective, and fruitless without God's blessing and apart from us being totally dependent on Him. But here's the problem we all share. We can't even depend on Him unless we depend on Him to help us depend on Him. I mean, we don't have it even within us to even do that. Naturally, it's just not in us. So you know what we have to do? We have to seek God and we have to ask Him, God, I need your help to even depend on you. That is how helpless and that is how fragile, that is how frail I am. But I want to think, what does it look like? What does this active dependence look like? What does it look like to see your children as God's gifts and not our achievements? I don't know, you could probably think of a lot of different ways. I've thought of my time here at Bethel and it it shocks me at times to see the same house, same parents, children growing up in the same environment. And I've known kids that have chosen different paths. But I've watched those parents love that wayward child to pray without ceasing. And when that wayward child was choosing a different path, I imagine they probably wanted to hide in shame. But instead, they continued to reach out to those friends they were in life group with, and they continued to build relationships asking for prayer and asking, help us to love this child well. I mean, I can name several families that I've watched walk through that. And I'm grateful to say I've even seen now some of those children come back to the Lord. But I think that's what it means to actively depend on God, going, God, we're going to love them We're going to care for them, and we're going to trust that you are the only one that can bring them back. Or what about allowing your children to experience failure, that they can learn some lessons now before the consequences are much, much greater? You know, our tendency is, at least it is for me, is to to rush in and to swoop in and to, to save them from every kind of hardship because I want to be in control. And I don't want to look back and to think they failed. But I think sometimes letting them experience failure is depending on God to teach them. But it's such an uncomfortable place because we want to be in control and we want to guide everything about them. And sometimes we have to trust God to use that circumstance. And then I'll I'll share one more that Marla and I were talking about this week. And I'm telling you, by no means are we perfect parents and We have made horrible mistakes. Our kids have a great fund that they're going to be counseling one day that, you know, we started giving to early on. But it's one day we were faced with a decision. Marla, we had decided to homeschool. But we had felt God we'd moved to White House, and one of the reasons was for the schools. And we thought, man, is God calling us to step back into the public school system? Listen, this is not a debate on homeschool, private school, and any of that. But we felt God doing that. But in our own tendency, it was the easiest thing and the most comfortable thing to do was to keep homeschooling. But I remember, and this wasn't me, I remember it was Marla. She said, Mark, do you remember what we've been praying for Kyla? When she went through baby dedication and we picked a verse for her, which was Proverbs 3, Verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. 
that we wanted her to be someone that trusts the Lord. And we just thought, you know what, the easiest thing, the most comfortable thing to do is to keep doing this. But we felt like God was saying, you need to trust me. If you really want her to trust in me, you are going to have to. Listen, it was a big step of faith, and it was not an easy decision. In fact, there have been many times we've even questioned that decision. But at times, we have to take our hands and allow God to be the one that is in control because he can teach them things that we never could. So here's what we do. We leave here today after we eat lunch, of course, and we build with all the strength that we have. And we watch carefully, as careful as we can, we watch. And we work to provide to the very best of our abilities. And we look at our children and we see them as our gifts from God, not our achievements. And we do this totally depending on God. The results of your parenting are not up to you. Do you know what you're called to do? You're not called to be successful parents. You're called to be faithful. And the results are up to him. And so we are to rest, we're to sleep, and we're to trust that God has handpicked you to be the parents of your children. If he had someone better in mind, he would have put them in that family. There are no perfect parents and there are no perfect children. If there were, there would be no need for Jesus. And your children were created to live for eternity. And God has given you the first 18 years to set that trajectory. But you're not called to be successful. You're called to be faithful. And you leave the results up to Him. So you build, you watch, you provide, and you love those gifts. But you do it all while depending on God. Because God can do more for us when we're asleep than we could ever do on our own without Him. And He has promised that He will do a good work in you. Your children are not our achievements. There are gifts from God. And so what I want to do, I want to close the sermon in a prayer. And then I want us to transition our worship to observing the Lord's Supper. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you. Thank you because you know exactly where we are. You know exactly where every parent is here today. You know exactly what we struggle with, and you know exactly what we need, and you know how to give it perfectly. And so now we ask, our hands open, Lord, and we ask to receive out of the fullness of Christ the ability to depend, to trust, and to rest. And it's in your Son's name that we say, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.